As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the December 21st edition of Odd Lots. I'm Joe Weisenthal, Managing Editor at Bloomberg Markets. And I'm Tracy Alloway, Executive Editor of Bloomberg Markets. So last week was pretty momentous with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, getting off zero exactly seven years to the day that the Fed um, cut its rates to zero. I feel like it's a real uh, bookend to a certain chapter of the financial crisis. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. It's a new era uh, for both of us because I think we both kind of uh, started our careers right when the financial crisis was picking up and interest rates were at rock bottom. So neither you nor I have ever covered financial markets above the zero bound. And so we have no idea what we're going to cover anymore. <laughs> we were just talking about this issue. What do we talk about now? Because everything that we've been writing about and talking about for years has, to some extent, been tied into the financial crisis, the housing crash, and its aftermath. Whether it's the Fed, the slow economy, the Eurozone crisis, everything has basically been about this one thing. Absolutely correct. We've been dealing with the fallout of all those issues for years and years and years, and it's time to enter a new chapter. But before we enter that new chapter... We're going to bookend the old one, right? Right. It's just sort of a perfect time for a little nostalgia trip because right now uh, the big short is in theater. The film based on the book about one of the hedge fund managers that made a fortune betting that the entire system of housing finance was going to collapse long before most people saw it. That's right. So Michael Lewis wrote that amazing book that basically set out exactly what happened in the subprime crisis and the guys who saw it coming. And the group of those guys were all usually hedge fund managers, analysts, uh, you know, guys like Steve Eisman, hedge fund manager, Michael Burry, also a hedge fund manager. And so I think the reality is when people think about who saw the crisis coming, they usually think about smart money guys like that. But there were some other people who were really smart about this issue. That's exactly right. Like there were uh, some of these hedge fund managers that absolutely made a fortune. And there were some of these general doomsayers that were always warning about something. But one of the, uh, you know, speaking of journalism and speaking of our careers, both of us in the early years of our careers were reading the blog Calculated Risk. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the first financial blogs I started off blogging. And it was one of the first sites that sort of really chronicled the economic data in a very detailed way. And early on was warning, hey, something isn't exactly right here with the way housing works 
in the U.S. these days. Right. So that is exactly right. I remember being a baby financial blogger reading Calculated Risk, which was then and still is an incredibly influential blog when it comes to the housing market. They they were amazing on the housing crash. It's been great on the recovery ever since. Yeah, I think that's a key point, too, about how good calculated risk has been on the recovery, because a lot of people could say, oh, I saw it coming. This is the guy who called the crash. But a lot of those people, their track record since the crisis, they haven't really done anything that extraordinary. Calculated risk has really chronicled the recovery, too, in a very clear way. And while the main author of Calculated Risk, this guy Bill McBride, will be joining us today, in the early days he had a co-blogger, a woman named Doris Dungy, a mortgage industry professional. She went under the nom de blog Tanta, and everybody was obsessed with her writings because (laughs) she could write about the mortgage industry from the perspective of an insider better than anyone else. Oh, she was amazing. She knew the ins and outs like no one else. Sadly, uh... Doris Dungy died in November 2008. No mm-hmm. one knew who she was except under her pen name until then. Yeah. But today we're going to talk to Bill McBride, who's still writing Calculated Risk, about those early years and about Tanta's legacy and why people loved her writing so much. Right. So I think for those of you listening, if you get one thing out of this, it should be when you go to see the big short in movie theaters and you're watching Christian Bale and whoever else uh, on the screen shorting the subprime market and they're the smart guys that saw it all coming. Remember that there were some really, really intelligent bloggers who were out there saying the exact same thing at the exact same time. We are joined now by the calculated risk founder, Bill McBride. Bill, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. So, Bill, I've been reading Calculated Risk for years, watching you chronicle the housing collapse, the economic crisis, and then the subsequent recovery. How did you start Calculated Risk and why? Well, you know, I started, I've always been interested in housing, and probably in late 2003, 2004, I started really noticing, I mean, obviously house prices were really taking off, but I, I, I was talking to somebody at the gym, a young woman who was uh, working in an accounting department. She told me she just bought a condo for 400000 She made 40000 a year and put no money down. <laughs> and I said, well, how does that work? <laughs> so that got me really interested. And then uh, I was busy in 2004, but at the end of 2004, I, in January 2005, I started really digging into it, and that's when I started the blog. Did you actually have a mortgage background? I did not have a mortgage background. I, I have an economics background, not a mortgage background. And that, that actually, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about Tanta, but Tanta is an, was an absolute mortgage uh, banker expert. Yeah, tell us about her. How did you find her? She was a mortgage professional, and then she ended up being one of the great bloggers, financial writers, whistleblowers uh, in covering finance. How did that happen? How did, how did, uh, how did you well, meet up, and how did she become such a great writer? Well, this is what happens. You know, I started writing about really the economics of housing. You know, I saw speculation. I saw, uh, you know, the price appreciation. There, there's a blogger uh, uh, down in San Diego, economics professor Jim Hamilton, who writes Econ Browser. Yep. And he, one day he, he said to me, he goes, you know, Bill, you're making a really plausible argument that there's a big bubble, but why would make people make these loans that they're not going to get repaid on? And so I started really digging into the mortgages. I go, well, that's a great question. You know, that was the question. And one of the uh, 
readers of my blog was Tata, the real name Doris Dungey. And she started, whenever I would talk about mortgages on my blog, if I got any little detail wrong, she would send me a little comment and go, well, actually, it works kind of, you're close, but it works kind of like this. And so I, I kept wanting her to come and, you know, write, maybe write something for the blog, and then she disappeared. And at the end of 2005, reappeared in the middle of 2006, and sadly, she, she sent me a little note um, that she had uh, been diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer. So she didn't know if she was going to be around, and she had, you know, had left her job. And so she had, as she recovered, when we discussed it, she decided, uh, I think she started in December 2006, she came and started writing for the blog. And her entire focus was on the mortgage industry, how it worked, you know, originations, uh, mortgage servicing, you know, how, how, you know, how mortgage-backed securities worked, you know, every, foreclosures, REOs, everything that you want to know about mortgages. So you two really became a sort of dynamic duo of the housing market because you covered it from an economics perspective and Tanta, of course, covered it from the sort of ins and outs of the industry. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a lot of fun, and, and it really put all the pieces together for me. I mean, she she was just so, she's an outstanding writer. Everybody should read what she wrote. And, and you know, she really clarified why people would make loans that they're not going to get repaid on. Now, of course, nobody would intentionally do that, no individual. But she, you know, she made it clear that they had moved away from a system where where you used to do lend to the three C's, and you know you you would have credit and capacity and collateral, and they just moved to credit, <laughs> and so you know people weren't paying attention to collateral and capacity to pay the loans anymore, and and so you know what was happening is is you were you know people, if people had a good score credit score they give them as much as they want. Bill, there's a series of posts that uh, Tanta wrote called The Complete Uber Nerd, and she had a definition of what an Uber Nerd was. What were these posts, and what did she mean to convey by saying, you know, this this idea of the complete Uber Nerd? Well, I, I, I have part of the... She was trying to explain to people in detail how things work. I, I have a little quote for you. She said, The Complete Uber Nerd was intended for someone who is compelled to understand how things work in grim detail, even if things <laughs> in question are tedious in the extreme. And so what you would do is just go into every fine detail of mortgage servicing or, or mortgage insurance. And, and, and by the way, she's a very funny writer, and she has an a undergraduate degree in literature, so she, had, she, was, she was very entertaining, too. So even though she says it's tedious to the extreme, it was great. What were some of the more outrageous things that you remember from that era of blogging? Things that really made you think this is getting out of hand? Uh, well, I, I think one of the most outrageous things for me personally, and this is pre-Tanta, was uh, in 2005, one of the things I was doing was calling regulators. And I was, I was you know, talking to senior field examiners at the FDIC. I was talking to state regulators, and I was going, what's going on? Why aren't you guys doing anything? And on the record, I would report that on my blog, what they would say, oh, well, we're trying to write a new guidance for non-traditional mortgages and things like that. Off the record, they were all saying the same thing. They're terrified, hmm. and that they've never seen hmm. such risk concentration in their lives. Anytime anyone wrote a memo that would move up the chain, the, the, uh, the appointees at the top of each of the organizations, the FDIC, et cetera, would, would just slam it down. And so, it, that, you know, to me, that was one of the most shocking things, just how much 
the political appointees were blocking any attempt to, to adopt the nonsense. That is shocking because one of the narratives we hear nowadays about the subprime crisis is that not a lot of people saw it coming, and the people who did see it coming are, are glorified in books like Michael Lewis's Big Short. Yeah, but you know, if you look at the time frame, we were writing about it long before that. Uh, the, the, the plenty of people saw it coming, especially from my perspective, the economics perspective. Um, Tante had that unique perspective because she was, you know, she's an absolute expert in mortgages. And people would write to me from the mortgage industry and go, I know who Tante has to be. Who else could it be? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they go, but, her, you know, I love her and her, her, her secret's safe with me. And the reason she was writing under a pseudonym is she wanted to go back to work. <laughs> she was afraid she was giving away too much of what the mortgage industry did. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because, you know, nowadays, most a lot of people who blog blog under their real names. But 10 years ago, a lot of blogging was done under pseudonyms. Um, I didn't know your name for a long time. Obviously, Tanta uh, blogged under a pseudonym for a long time. But talk to us about the influence she had. What kind of people were re- reaching out back in those early days and just saying, oh, my God, what a, well, this is such an incredible uh, wealth of knowledge you're bringing here? Well, you know, the, she was quoted as Tanta in a, in a Federal Reserve paper in 2007. Uh, you know, Paul Krugman uh, mentioned her several times. Uh, he, he thought that was the, the, one of the greatest things about blogging was, that, I think he wrote about her, was that an absolute expert in its area can come out when you need her, him or her, and you learn this incredible thing about this industry that you didn't know. You know, we can't all be experts in every industry. So that to me was amazing. And, and let me add this too, is that Tanta changed the world of blogging. Every every single blogger out there owes her something because she started writing for my blog in 2006. And in 2007, she called. She kept calling him and goes, "Bill, uh, New York Times just stole one of your stories. Bill, the Wall Street Journal just stole one of your stories." And frequently, it wasn't quite true because I was talking to journalists at every you know major place, Financial Times, everywhere. And they weren't really stealing our stories, but what they were doing, they're telling me, their editor wouldn't let a pension. They got it from a blog. <laughs> and so Tonto wrote this piece that <laughs> she just said, "Look, we mention every you know your name. We link to your stories. We excerpt briefly excerpt. We send you readers, and you won't mention that you know our site." And in uh, that week, the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, New York Times all mentioned calculated risk. I remember that happening, and I'm sure Joe does as well. This was a very, very special time in the financial blogosphere. This was really when it took off. And part of the reason was because everything was moving so fast. The blogs were in an excellent, excellent position to get there before the sort of traditional media. Yeah, and you know, and the blogging also brought out some experts like Tata, and mm-hmm. experts in other areas too. And it really, it really helped, I think. And 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 I think the some of the best journalists got a lot of their, you know, they worked with us and other bloggers to build, you know, great stories. There were some awesome stories in the major media. Did uh? If, can I let me add just one thing there? Though. Sure. The downside is that, and if Tata was here, I think she would agree with me. Is that now? Now garbage sites get credited in the media. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a big uh, proliferation of all kinds of quality since then. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you have Did you have people working in finance and in Wall Street wanting, you know, ask, you know, learning from Tanta? And you know, you mentioned the sort of influence she had on journalists, but what about the influence she had on people working in uh, in the industry? Yeah, well, a number of hedge fund managers would email me or call me. 
and ask me, you know, Tanta didn't want to be available to them, so I would pass their emails on to her, and then she might send something back to me that I could respond back. But a number of people in New York were, were writing to me in the financial industry. Did you ever get frustrated that regulators or uh, the financial industry didn't take uh, some of the things you were writing about more seriously and take some of your warnings to heart? Well, you know, I, 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 I think that the majority of the people who actually work as regulators, they, they were on board right away. They were all terrified. Um, and, and, uh, and I still talk to some of those people. But, but you know, if they're if the political ponies at the top of the, of the agencies are blocking everything they're trying to do, what can they do? Mm. You know, now we have, you know, now we have a much better regulators. And as a matter of fact, I, I don't know if you saw that, but the FDIC and the Federal Reserve and they all came out and put out a a, a statement on commercial real estate lending. Mm-hmm. And this isn't saying that the, the commercial real estate lending is in dangerous of any sort, but they're reminding people not to have too much risk calculation uh, concentration. And, and to keep their underwriting standards, you know, intact. And that's the right way to do it. You know, they, they're getting in front of the problem mm-hmm. instead of, you know, we don't want another commercial real estate bus. Speaking of getting in front of the problem, it's always, you know, the next crisis is never going to be the same as the last crisis. But there are obviously going to be similarities and echoes of past crises. From seeing the housing bubble and the housing crash, you know, having a front row seat to that and knowing the topic in such detail, what are the things you would want to look out for that to you scream bubble, that to you you're always sort of have a radar for for the next potential crisis? You know, you know I, think, I think whenever you see uh, a rapid increase in lending, uh, you see a decrease in underwriting standards. Those are things to look for. I mean, housing is the worst because it's the biggest market in the world, you know, or at least, in, you know, when you're talking about the U.S. The commercial real estate's a much smaller lending world. Um, you know, I, 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 I was one of those people in the late 90s arguing we had a big bubble in the stock market. And that, you know, but it, the speculation there, you know, although it was rampant, was nothing. It was not as, as leveraged as the housing market. So what would I look for? I'd just look for, for a fast increase in, in uh, lending and, and decreasing underwriting standards. Do you see bubbles today? No, I, I'm not really. I, I see none. <laughs> Let me put it that way. You, you, know, you know, you have to look for two things. One is the, the fundamentals have to seem like they're out of whack with normal. And two, you have to be looking for a lot of speculation. So people t- taking this lending and speculating hard. I don't really see that today. So, you know, I'm not worried about much today. What, uh, going back to Tanta for a second, what would you say was the number one thing you learned from her in terms of how to analyze an industry? Are there lessons that you learned from her just in generally working alongside her that you still take with you today as you write and analyze the economy and the housing market? Well, she would, you know, what she would always try to do is she'd like, she'd like to look at it from one angle and then step back and try to look at it from another angle. And, and she was really good at that. As a matter of fact, I can't tell you, it happened over and over again. She'd say, well, what if we look at this from, from a different perspective here? And, and it really would help clarify what was happening. And, and I think that was part of the reason Tonto was way ahead of everybody else on, on you know, predicting, you know, I mean, she was naming names, which, which, mortgage companies were going to go under and which banks were going to go under. 
So that's why we couldn't be out shorting people. <laughs> you know, the, the big short guys, they actually did something very different. What they did is not only did they discover this was going to happen, but they figured out a way to really make a lot of money from it. And that wasn't our goal at all. <laughs> I mean, we were just trying to sound the alarm. Yeah, just a slight difference there. So uh, I got to ask, the big short is out. Are you going to go see it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Were you a fan of the book? I didn't read the book. <gasps> well, <laughs> I'll admit I haven't read it either. What? This is outrageous. I, 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 let, me tell, let me tell you why. I, I lived it. I wrote about it every day. I, you know, I know what these guys did, but I want to see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bill McBride. Absolutely fascinating discussion. Really appreciate you calling well, in. And uh, well, thanks for we'll have to uh, get back in touch with you to get your take on the movie. Or at least you should write about it. Okay, I will. Thanks, thanks so much. Thank you. Well, Tracy, uh, that was a fascinating conversation. What, uh, what was your big takeaway from that? Well, I mean, it was kind of nostalgic for me since, as we discussed, we, we both sort of started our financial journalism careers around that time. But even more than that, I really like this idea um, that, you, you know, when you read The Big Short, when you go and see the movie, it makes it seem like there was this tiny group of incredibly smart men on Wall Street who saw it all coming and profited off of it, which wasn't strictly true. There were lots of other people like Bill McBride, like Tanta, who saw the warning signs there and weren't necessarily listened to. You're absolutely right. And and the nostalgia point that you made, like that really hits home for me because mm-hmm. I started off my career just blogging like Bill McBride. My first blog, the stalwart, was kind of pseudonymous. I didn't really have right. my name attached to it. And I had totally forgotten, but I love the point that it wasn't standard. Like now if like a blog breaks news, yeah. then most news organizations are pretty good at crediting them and citing them. Mm-hmm. But I forgot how rare that was and for how rare it was for anyone to acknowledge that there was good information coming out of new media. Yeah. And the idea that Tanta was one of the people that really pushed and said, no, like we're doing all this great stuff, like <laughs> newspapers should give us credit. And this idea that that turned out to be an influential thing beyond just financial bloggers, mm-hmm. I thought was a really cool point and I had never, I had no idea about that or I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for today's Odd Lots. I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. And I'm Tracy Alloway. I'm on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. Thanks for listening. Joe and I are very proud of our new podcast, Odd Lots, but we are also very proud of Bloomberg's other growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. So in addition to our own podcast, please don't miss Benchmark with Dan Moss, Tori Stilwell, and Aki Ito, an informative, jargon-free look at the inner workings of the global economy. Then there's Deal of the Week with our M&A reporter, Alex Sherman, which is a breakdown of the biggest M&A deals and gives you an inside peek at corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. 
That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.